morning. Now there's going to be lots of interaction today, so there's going to be wake up, shake up, and there's not only going to be a group choir, but a group read, so why not stay awake, because you never know what might happen. Um, so um, when I was given this morning's um, topic, God's soulmate Adam, I thought, aid our pastor who's having a break with Mary, his wife and family. Um, I thought he's really given me the hardest straw of all. And I, I thought, okay, I like a challenge, but do you know, it's been absolutely magnificent to discover so much about Adam and what gave, God gave him to do. Amazing world that, uh, that God has made. Um, so there happened to be, I don't know how this happened, a subtitle um, to uh, Adam, God's soulmate. It was, and it came on the newsletter, Become the Friend That God Desires. And do you know, I really like that title as well. So it's going to be um, God's soulmate, soulmate, called to co-create, but also becoming, becoming the friend that God desires. Now, I love doing book recommendations, so... First of all, an amazing book by a man called Bill Johnson, an American. It's a daily invitation to friendship with God. It's daily readings. They're very pithy. They're for artists, housewives, thinkers, doctors, everybody. An amazing, amazing resource to have by your bed. Okay? And then, and I know that Roy and Pam could get that for you, one that I've asked them to get in is the Jesus Storybook which is absolutely amazing. It's a book by uh, a woman called Sally Lloyd-Jones. Don't be put off by the fact you think it's a children's book. It's absolutely amazing. And Roy tells me that the special offer ones have got three pounds off. So there you go, three pounds off. So I read something in the Telegraph last week that actually really grabbed my attention. Flourishing is when your happiness leaps out of you and infects those around you. Um, we have some beautiful music going, but it's going to come up a bit later, so not quite yet, okay? Just, just a little bit later, with some lovely sounds that are going to emerge quite soon. So flourishing is when your happiness leaks out of you and infects those around you. But there's some bad news. And this is what it is. We Brits find it much easier to wallow in glum. The Brits are a nation of moaners, and we're languishing at some terrible statistic as the nation of moaners, okay? We are a complaint culture, and it gets into every one of our lives. So, do you often find yourselves asking someone how their holiday was, how their weekend was, Mm, not bad, oh it was a nightmare, and you get all the bad stuff coming up first. But you know, I believe that God calls us to something radically, radically different. Uh, he calls us to be culture changers, atmosphere changers, and uh, he calls us to actually be people who are joy-filled. And we don't, we don't meet many people who express joy, and we meet a lot of people who obviously lack joy and are exceptionally lonely. But if we're really, really honest with ourselves, and I'd like us to really try to be honest with ourselves this morning, our lives don't often, exp often don't express joy. 
And despite some masks that we can all wear, we all find ourselves pretty lonely at times. And yet, the good news is that God created every one of us to enjoy friendship with him and with one another. God created us all to hear his voice. He created us all to enjoy rest and enjoy work. And every one of us is created as unique. There's no two-offs, there's no counterfeits. We are unique and we are created in the image of our awesome creator. So every one of us is unique in personality, in physiology, in temperament, and in gift mix. And we are just all hardwired so differently to be the people that God has created us to be. No, not one of us is just ordinary. No one is just ordinary. I am not just a retired woman wondering what on earth to do with my life. Um, you are not just a stay-at-home mum. You are not just the CEO of a top company. You are not just a cleaner, a writer, a blogger, a poet. You are not just someone who might have the challenge of having a mental health diagnosis or a personality disorder. You are people created in the image of an awesome God to become all that he has made you to be, and so am I. That's great news. So Adam, at the beginning of time, was given a stunningly beautiful garden to work. He was given animals to name and an amazing soulmate, um, and he was given also permission to sit back one day in seven and enjoy all the good things that he'd worked hard to achieve. So I just want you to imagine that every one of us has been given a garden, um, like a sphere of influence where he says to us, be fruitful, be fruitful, be prosperous, enjoy working with me, enjoy walking with me. When I was praying for us all this morning, I had a lovely picture, a very top nest picture. And it was a wide, wide open space and it was covered in higgledy-piggledy allotments. They were, they were full of life, they were full of people working, they had little huts on them where people were sharing um, bits of cuttings and plants and tools and implements. And we were all having such fun and we were welcoming people to have an, another allotment. But it was such a vibrant picture of what I believe God wants us to be in the, the spheres in the town, actually, we are in this town called, and villages around called to be everything that God has intended us to be. I would like you to ask yourself a very hard question. And it's not for anybody else to answer this question. Um, but I believe it's something we need to ask ourselves. Okay, so don't look at anybody else. Just think about this question. Do I really like me? Okay, the second question. Do I really believe that God likes me? Okay, now turn to the person next to you and say, you're not a mistake. Go on, say it, you know, say it as if you really, really mean it. Okay. 
And now, you're a child of God. So not one of us, not one of us is a mistake. We are all children of God. When God invites us into friendship, there's nothing passive about that friendship. It's not as if we just sit back and let everything, God do everything to us and for us. This is a very active, very active friendship. So let, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come to us. We're going to pray and to ask the Holy Spirit to wake us up, to become active in our friendship with Jesus. And you know, it's just so important that we ask for the Holy Spirit, not assume the Holy Spirit, but ask the Holy Spirit. So I'd love to encourage you all to shut your eyes and open out your hands and ask the Holy Spirit to come. So, Holy Spirit, will you come? Would you come into those caverns of our souls? Would you come into those places really quite hidden from us sometimes and certainly hidden from the outside world. Would you come into that place and bring life? Holy Spirit, would you come to those places where we even unknowingly limit ourselves? Would you come, Jesus, into those places where hopelessness lurks? Would you come, Lord Jesus, into those places where we might have been hardwired wired since childhood to always see problems, not possibilities. Holy Spirit, would you come to those places where our past has limited us? Holy Spirit, would you come? So let's just keep our eyes shut and keep engaging with the Holy Spirit because he's here.
Oh, what a lovely gift. What a gift of God's creation to share with us all. Amazing. Thank you both. So we're asking the Holy Spirit to wake us up and we're going to ask the Word of God, the Bible, to make us up, wake us up. Now I know that there are some people here who are very, very new to reading the Bible. And so I would just like to introduce our reading with a few thoughts about what the Bible is about. No, the Bible is not a book of rules. It's not a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything, to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves us all and comes to rescue us. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the centre of the story, there is a baby. Every single story in the Bible whispers the name of that baby. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle. He is the piece that makes all other pieces fit together. And suddenly, you can see a beautiful picture. So now we're going to read the Bible together. We're going to do it together. We're going to be like a, a choir of readers. Okay, so I want to just explain a little bit about how we're going to do it. So these verses up here are taken from the first two chapters of the very first book of the Bible, a book called Genesis. And we're going to have the men reading one bit and the women reading another bit. Now, because of the light, the colour coding isn't very good. So Fraser and I are going to kind of like direct you so that you know what, who does what and so um, you can see a bit down where it says God said okay that's us women okay so I'll be with you women so when we get to the end of that colour coding it will be time for the men to have their bit and it's, got, it's on two powerpoints you're going to have to really all us readers are going to have to really concentrate so we're the reading choir okay so I think it would be great if we all stood up to do this reading. It's great to really proclaim God's word. You know, we're told to shout aloud, and something happens when we speak out. Things are created when we speak. So let's speak out God's word. And so Fraser will start, and then it's us women. The account of creation. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Just him. <laughs> Just God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now ask. God said... Let there be light, and there was light. God said, Let there be a space between the waters to separate waters from the heavens. 
heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. And the evening passed and the morning came, marking the second day. God said, Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place, so dry ground may appear. God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let there be signs to mark the seasons, days and years. God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. Now us. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Okay, do sit down. I think we'll have a practice. You know, the, the gospel choir, they were here for an hour or so practicing. Next time we'll practice our <laughs> chorus. Okay. So, before we look a bit more closely at Adam and his friendship with God, I want to consider a couple of questions that I've often heard people ask. So, um, why should I want to be a friend of God? Now, I've actually thought of... A list of reasons. I, I also thought, for the, those of you here who are in mission community, this might be a really good thing to work on together. Why should I want to be a friend of God? It's a good thing to sort of start thinking about. So here are the reasons why I um, would like to be a friend of God. Because he loves every person that's ever lived, or will ever live, and he invites me into friendship with him. Because his love isn't manipulative, it isn't fickle, it isn't prejudiced, it isn't self-seeking. Because his love doesn't coerce me, he invites me. Because his love is perfect. Because he took pleasure in making me. He took pleasure in making everything. Because he never stops loving me, especially when I mess up. I think that's the best reason of all. And because he promised he'll always be with me. Okay, second question. 
Why on earth would he want me to be his friend? Because he's made us. There's the most magnificent poem, a psalm, Psalm 139, where we're told that God's thoughts are so amazing towards us. They're so expansive, they're greater than the grains of sand on the seashore. And he wants me to be his friend because he needs me to co-create with him, to dream with him, and to work with him. <coughs> so, um, God spoke and things happened and music was written about animals and creation. In the beginning, there was nothing, nothing to hear, nothing to feel, nothing to see, just emptiness and darkness, nothing but nothing. God has a plan, God is there. God has a wonderful plan. God said, I'll take this emptiness and I'll fill it up out of darkness. I'm going to make light out of nothing. I'm going to make everything. I'm going to bring you to life. I'm going to make you fully alive. You're born to be fully alive. You're born to enjoy the world that God has created. You're born to seek new adventures. Every single one of you. Okay, short break now. I would love you to find somebody um, who you don't necessarily know very well and ask them what part of God's creation really brings you to life. Where do you absolutely buzz um, in God's creation? So obviously for Fraser it's being out of doors, messing around out of doors, that is his, his, his language. So I'm quite the same. Um, I love music. Gospel choirs bring me to life. Just being with music brings me to life. And you know Ben and Heather are very, very dear missionary friends from the Himalayas. Being up mountains brings them to life. So we're going to have a little break now. We'll just keep the music on. I think we'll have the photo down. <laughs> just find somebody and just say, what brings you to life? Just have a little chat about it. And let's not make it too religious, because there's no divide between secular and sacred. God's made the whole world. So come on, what brings you to life? <laughs>
go on having fun talking about that and the coffee at the end. And, and I would also encourage you if, you, if you have a story about why you know that God has called you to be his friend, that you perhaps start to share that story with someone who doesn't, who's never heard that kind of story from anybody. There may be here, people here this morning. So, yeah, God is very good. Okay, for those of us who are new to reading the Bible, I just want to say something about those opening verses of Genesis. So Genesis is the first book in the Bible. It's the beginning of the story. And those verses have actually often been used by scientists, by Christians and atheists, to debate theories about how the world began. And atheists have actually quite misused them to, in an attempt to destroy belief in God. I don't want us to get into any of that debate this morning. These chapters are not a scientific manual. And I really hope that today we will see that in the beginning, God created a world that's absolutely full of goodness, order, beauty, love, and mystery that can all resonate together. These verses are the beginning of the greatest love story ever written. And they are actually um, the very interesting verses because they, um, they are an early account of creation the earliest account of creation that differs radically from most other creation myths that were around from that, at that time. So I have a book here called Garden City by John Mark Comer, and uh, he says something very helpful about this. Most of the other creation myths from around this time have the same basic idea. The gods are tired and worn out. Work is thought of as a burden. It's beneath the gods, and so humanity is created, created as cheap slave labour. Our God, the one creator God, is nothing like those God, gods and their divine friends. He doesn't hate work. In fact, he seems to really enjoy it. And instead of creating humanity to offload all his work onto, because it's beneath him, this story opens with God himself working to create a world for humanity, a place for us to enjoy and experience his presence. We human beings are created as God's co-creators. We are created as God's partners. How magnificent. So just, just to think a little bit about who God is in that reading. You might like to have your Bibles open if you like following things in the Bible. I'm not going to refer to individual verses, but just kind of have a bit of an overview. So God. So we kept, kept hearing, kept reading about God speaking. God was speaking and worlds came into being. He created a magnificent and mysterious universe. And everywhere we look, we see signs of order, design and intelligence. And God was commanding, be fruitful, multiply, govern the earth, fill it, prosper. And God breathed his spirit. He breathed his spirit over the waters. And he breathed his spirit over chaos. And order came. And he has never stopped doing that. Breathing his Holy Spirit over disordered places and bringing order. God created Adam out of the dirt of the ground. And he created Eve, his soulmate. 
God created two human beings, male and female, in his image. God creates us as spiritual beings with intelligence, moral conscience, um, with, uh, in, with uh, the ability to create, and uh, he creates us to enjoy creating with him, uh, and we're created to be joyful. God expresses joy. He took great pleasure in all he'd made. He said, it's good, it's very good. So we see a, a God who loves beauty, who loves order, who loves design, uh, who loves to share responsibility with us. And finally, God cared enough to give Adam and Eve a boundary. He said, don't. There was one tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, you can eat everything else, you can enjoy everything else, don't eat that. So he gave them a command to obey. He also gave them the most magnificent gift that he gives us, the gift of free choice. So we have that gift of free choice. We are free to choose, but we are not free for the consequences of the choices that we make in life. So that's a little bit about God. Um, and now we're going to have a look at Adam. These are just a few thoughts that I've kind of pulled out. We'll come up in a minute. I love the cooperation that's going on back there. <laughs> and I love it that I didn't have to make this. Rebecca made it for me. So, created by God, to be like God, to reflect God's love and beauty. Would someone like to call out one that particularly they like? Go on, shout one of them out. Enjoying friendship with God. Lovely, absolutely, yeah, okay. Making something good and useful out of God's world. Yeah. Partnering with God. Excellent. Love it. Okay. So we can, we'll keep those up there. We're created by God to be like God. So we are created to reflect his beauty, his love and his life. And we are created to enjoy friendship with God. To become a soulmate. We're created to give and receive love. We're blessed by God to create with him and to see unlimited creative possibilities and solutions. We are created to see unlimited possibilities and solutions in every sphere of life. Not just when we prepare a sermon or when we read our Bible and we think we're in that time we're worshiping God. In every sphere of life, we are born with that capacity to see unlimited solutions in every area of life. We're created to rule with God, to make something beautiful out of what he's made, to take responsibility for creation, um, to help bring order in God's world, to give birth, to see where things have gone wrong and work with God to put them right. Um, so Adam was created, he, he named the animals. We're given that kind of authority and responsibility to call things out from people. We are also created to enjoy friendship, close friendship with a human soulmate. 
Now, I want to say a little bit about this. In Adam's case, it was his wife, um, and God said it's not good for man to live alone. And he gave Adam Eve for them to comfort each other, to work together, to inspire each other, to dream together, and to be creative together. That's what marriage is about. That's what soulmate is about. And I just want to read that again for those of us who are married. He gave us each other to comfort each other, to work together, to inspire together, to dream together, and to be creative together. He gave Adam a garden to enjoy working and resting in, Adam's own very magnificent garden, and he gave him a command to obey. Okay, so what about us? Every single blessing and responsibility that was conferred on Adam is conferred on us. Everything that God's involved Adam with, we can be involved with by choice. I want to highlight two areas very particularly. One is a blessing that God has given us, and the other is a privilege. First of all, I want to talk about the gift of human soulmates. Human soulmates are God's gift of life to us all, whether we're single, bereaved, divorced, hoping to get married, or know that we're called to a life of celibacy. Human friendships, close friendships, are a gift from God for every single one of us. They are not exclusively for the married. Just want to say that again, they are not exclusively for the married. So, if you think about Jesus, he was single, he lived a celibate life, and he had three soulmates. He had Peter and James and John. They were his close soulmates. I reckon the others probably got a bit jealous about them, because people do. But actually, that, that was of no concern of Jesus. He had his three closest friends, and he shared some of his most intimate moments with these friends, and they were with him when he had the most glorious vision of God's glory. So that was what those friendships were about. It was only three. We can't have soulmates with lots and lots of people. So uh, there was Jesus. Um, he also retreated to a home um, when he really needed to, the home of Lazarus, Martha and Mary. He went there as a safe place. So obviously Jesus really enjoyed those close bonded friendships with some other human beings. And then there's Paul. He too chose a life of celibacy, um, but he had some people who were with him throughout his life, in challenging times, in storms, in prison, people who stuck by him, people who knew his heart, and he knew their hearts. So, I've just, I, I've just identified a few um, thoughts about what a soulmate is, who a soulmate is. Now, you'll have lots more, but I think I'd just like to identify some areas. So, one or two people, and we're not talking about marriage, we're talking about soulmates, really good friends. One or two people who know things about you and me that no one else in the world knows. And it will only be one or two people. So, a few people who know exactly where you're coming from and you're very safe with them. 
Soulmates are friends who enable us to laugh at ourselves and not take ourselves too seriously. And boy, do we all need those people. God said, it is not good for human beings to be without a human soulmate. And I believe that if the Bible was written today, God might say, and by the way, Facebook and social media is not the place where soulmates need to share their lives. It is not a place for growth in soulmate friendship. This is an intimate, face-to-face -face friendship with a few other human beings. So, soulmates, I believe, are gifts of God's creation to help us to prosper, to be encouraged, and to be fruitful. And they often, soulmates, stimulate our creative thinking. They give us ideas, they energise us to keep work, to, to keep working and keep going and, and do the things that God has asked us to do. So that's a real blessing. So uh, now, and, and God gave Adam Eve as his very first soulmate. There may well have been other ones that came along that we don't read about. So the second thing is the privilege that Adam had that we have. So we are privileged to be those who co cooperate very closely with God wherever we have a sphere of responsibility. So just think about the situation in your life where you spend most time and the people with whom you spend most time. Okay? There might be a couple of those spheres, um, and for those of us who are in families, obviously the family is absolutely at the heart of our place of responsibility, but there will be other places, places of work, places where you're involved in charity work with other people and you're really drawn together in that. There will be all sorts of places where you have the privilege of being co-creators. There's the most wonderful verse in the Psalms that says that God confides, he shares his secrets with those who obey him. There's that word again, obey. God shares his secrets with those who obey him. And so I believe that he shares secrets about all sorts of things. When we have a problem at work, when we're grappling with an intellectual issue, when we're grappling with an artistic issue, when I'm in my kitchen and I'm looking into my fridge and I'm thinking, I don't know what to cook. <laughs> For me, it's, that's a very creative place. And I get these little nudges from my creator. You can do this, you can do that, you can put that together, you can put that together. Wherever, wherever we work, wherever we play, we have a God who confides in us. Things that he doesn't say to anybody else. And we don't need to tell anybody else because that's the nature of our friendship with him. And we have an open access into heaven and we're invited to come boldly, without fear. When Jesus died, just before he died, there was this big curtain in the temple that kept people apart, religious people and non-religious, and it tore from the top right down to the bottom. And now we can go boldly in and ask God for all that we need and hear all that he wants to give us. And he will give us ideas, solutions, healing, wisdom for every situation we, play, we face, wherever he's called us, and wisdom. Do we all need wisdom? My goodness. 
So these are some amazing verses from the book of Proverbs. So wisdom is part of who God is. It's his personality, it's his being. I wisdom, I God, came into being a long time ago. Well before the earth got its start, I arrived on the scene before ocean. Yes, even before springs and lakes. Good counsel and common sense are my characteristics. I have insight and virtue. With my leaders, with my help, leaders rule. Lawmakers legislate fairly. And with my help, governors govern. And with his help, with that wise help, we all function as we would like to. And we are told to ask for wisdom because God gives it generously. It's not a passive relationship. We can say, God, help. You know, you go into this amazing assignment at work. You go into a, a spreadsheet which has got all sorts of information on it. I've heard um, Dave Tomlinson talk about going into a massive operation saying, help God. We just ask him for wisdom wherever we're called to be. Um, and he gives it generously. So just be very aware of when you, where you are and where you spend most, the majority of your time and energy and where you have influence. And we, we can't have influence everywhere. We can't be everywhere. We can't be everything to all people. God boundaries in what he has for us to do and be. So just be very aware of that. Your friendship group at school, your, the people that you are in a choir with or whatever, just, just think, where have I got that kind of influence? So it may be in your neighbourhood, it may be in a friendship group, and it will be with the poor, the rich, the broken, the successful, the beautiful, the people who don't think they're beautiful, and it will be in your workplace. And let's remember, there's no secular. Um, I grew up in a time when people used to say, are you in the Lord's work? Which was a really weird way of saying, do you work um, at, in a church? Are you in church leadership? There is no such thing as secular and sacred. We are all in the Lord's work. Yeah. Absolutely. And I believe we need to know that. So, what about our families? Or our, our group of soulmates? We're called to call treasure, call out treasure in each other with just a few people, not with the world, with a few people, call out treasure in them. Plant seeds of hope. And you can't do that with hundreds of people, but God gives you a small group of people. Plant seeds of hope, believe in each other, think the best of each other, cover for each other. You may be in scientific research, in medicine, in the arts, you may be a writer or a blogger or a painter or a poet. You may be a cleaner, you may be a cook. Just use that sphere of influence to know God in all his beauty and goodness because we are called as God's friends who enjoy him, who keep in step with him. We're called to dream with God in every area of life. God has called us to shine light into darkness. He's called us to be atmosphere changers. So that's a really, really important one. <laughs> to be hope and joy 
to carry joy into places that are drab and weary and negative. We are called to call people to unite and not (coughs) divide. And this is in order that the world who doesn't yet know God can see his glory, his power and his love and his beauty in us and then become hungry for Jesus. Then start asking the questions, why, why do you think like that? What is it about you that's so different? Why do you really try to be positive and be joyful, even in hard times? And we don't all get it all right. We do have a good moment sometimes. But actually, the world wants to see us as people who carry something very different. There's an amazing line in a poem. The whole world is charged with the splendour and the glory of God. Let's ask God in friendship that we could be aflame and charged with the glory of God. Okay, so we are blessed in friendship and we are privileged in being co-creators. Just a few minutes, I'm not going to stay long on this, on the problem, on the bad news, because there is a bit of bad news. So the bad news goes right the way back to when Adam and Eve messed up in the perfect garden. They colluded, it wasn't one or the other, they colluded to disobey God and to eat of the forbidden fruit. And from that moment onwards, we all find ourselves needy and messed up at some point in our lives. The Bible describes being messed up as sin. Um, There are many different ways of describing sin. It's selfishness, it's self-centeredness, it's independence. And that... That way of being breeds a lot of bad fruit. Neediness, shame, fear, loneliness, addiction, deception, isolation. I could go on and on and on, but I'm not going to. God's provision is the very, very best story. It's good news. And we're called to be bringers of good news. We're called to be like those angels that we'll be thinking such a lot about before long. People who bring good news of great joy. That's what the world needs to hear. That's what we all need to hear. So we're going to be looking at lots of Old Testament heroes of faith through this this autumn. Uh, God's soulmates. So I'm starting with Adam. I'm not sure who's next. Maybe Moses. Yeah so, Peter, yeah, so all sorts of different Old Testament characters, and they're amazing, amazing people. They are heroes of faith, and uh, they, just, they were in such amazing friendship with God. But we read in the New Testament, the part of the Bible that was written after um, Jesus came, that they, all of those people, however faithful they were, and however faithful to God, they didn't receive what they'd been promised. So all through the Old Testament, there was a promise that, that just goes right the way through of God, that he would bring a Messiah, that he would bring someone who would save them from their sins, that he would bring a comforter, that he would bring someone uh, who would um, strengthen them, that would turn their darkness into light. That was a promise that went right the way through. And it wasn't until Jesus came at exactly the right time that God fulfilled that promise. So Jesus came 
And he came to save us from ourselves, to save us from our messed upness and our sins. And he came in order to draw us into friendship, to walk with him, to work with him, to be soulmates with him. And this promise that he's come is for all of us, every single one of us. We read in the book of Acts, this promise is for you, your children, and all who are far away, who are being called by God. What absolutely glorious good news. And we have access, unlimited access, to come absolutely boldly into God's presence. We come to our God who's given his most precious sacrifice for everything that's messed up. All that limits us. All that keeps us enslaved to fear. I just want to talk a little bit, this is, this is hard stuff, a little bit about those things that limit us, that we might even not be aware of or we might be terribly aware of. So first of all, we, are, we can be very limited and crippled by our own opinion of ourselves. Do you remember I got you to answer that question, do I like me? We might actually not particularly like ourselves and have an opinion of ourselves that's quite negative and not good. We might also be rather crippled by obsession with what others think about me. I paint a picture, what will they think about it? I buy some new clothes, what will they think about it? I make a magnificent meal, I wonder if they do it as well. We get so bound with those things and we're robbed of our individuality. We are all unique, we all have something phenomenal to create. In, in wherever we operate. Um, so let's, let's just get rid of those things that rob us of our individuality. We're often bound by limit, limitations of other people that they've put on us. It could be parents, it could be teachers, it could be siblings, it could be way, 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 way back. But those things just kind of pull us in a bit. And sometimes, just sometimes, and I think I can say this because it's been a bit of my story, we settle in the land of grief. We settle in the land of grief. Bad things happen in this world, really bad things. And many of us have had bad stuff happening to us. I just want to read to you what um, Peter Grieg, who's a bit of a hero of mine, says about this. It's sadly a common human tendency to settle in our grief, to redefine the geography of our lives according to the contours of our pain. And of course, when we are bereaved, when we are really, really going through it, through loss or trauma or tragedy, it's very, very important to stop and lament our loss and receive the comfort and healing of Jesus. It's very unhealthy to continue in denial as if nothing is wrong. But neither is it healthy to make disappointment and grief our permanent home. That is not what Jesus came for. He came to bring us comfort and he came to bring us life in all its fullness. I've recently been very impacted by a New Testament story. Jesus met a man by a pool. 
And this man had been there for 38 years, which is quite a long time. In fact, it's the amount of time we happen to have lived in our home. It's a long time. And this man, he, he was beside a pool, a kind of healing pool, a therapeutic pool. And uh, he had just been hoping um, that someone would get into the waters. So an angel would come down and there would be healing properties in this water. And uh, he was just, oh, moan, moan, moan. Oh, it's all right for somebody else. And they get there before me. And it, it's just okay for them. And uh, Jesus came along. And Jesus looked at him. And he said, he was, he was pretty direct. Do you want to be well? Do you really, really want to be well? It was like Jesus saying, in the loveliest possible way, get over it. Just get over it, as only our maker can do. Nobody else could say that to us, because Jesus does it with perfect love and perfect understanding of what we've been through. Get over it. Pick up your mat and walk. I once, when I was a student, when I was a student, my piano professor uh, was a remarkable woman. Uh, I learned a huge amount from her. And uh, she used to say, she used to demonstrate something to me or describe something to me. And she would say, go on, do it. And I would always say, uh, I'll try. She said, don't try, do it. And she was able to say that because she knew my capacity. She knew me extremely well. She knew my creative limitations. She knew my skill limitations. She knew that if she was asking me to do something, then I could do it. Jesus knew everything about that man. And he said, pick up your mat and walk. Do you know, if you are feeling this morning that when I talked about soulmates, I just really feel this is for one or two of us. When I talked about soulmates, you've, 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 it's difficult for you. Those, those good, close friendships, they haven't somehow or other worked. And I believe that there is healing here this morning. I believe that God wants to take off some of those limitations. And only you will know before God what those things are. They may be hidden from you, and maybe it's time to ask him, Lord, what is it? What is it? Why do I? Why, why do friendships go wrong? Why? Why can't I find good, close, bonded friendships? And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to really show you. But the first thing Jesus is, says, says is, "Get up and walk. Walk towards me. Walk towards my healing. Walk towards my friendship." It's in real friendship and honesty with Jesus that we start. To be able to deal with some of these things. God designs us to come into a destiny. God's word says blessed, that means really happy, are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. We are not designed to sit around saying woe is me and bemoaning our past because Jesus has dealt with it. And he has healing for us. And he has compassion. He knows the hardest things you've faced in your past. He knows those things that have crippled you and limited you. And he says, come to me. Walk with me. Work with me. Learn how I do it. I won't lay anything ill-fitting on you. 
I will teach you my unforced rhythms of grace. That's what he wants to do. And I believe this morning that it's just a time as we go into worship um, that we are going to ask Jesus in quite a personal way to actually help us to pick up our mats and walk away from some of those things and trust Jesus that he will heal us. He will show us that journey that he wants to be on so that we can become the people that he's created us to be with all our possibilities. God is a good God and he invites us into friendship, into intimacy with him. So Liz and the band, oh Liz, I'm not sure who, yeah, Liz is going to come up and she's going to, I've asked for a very particular song to start off with. Um, it's, you'll see what it is, but it's a declaration. I am no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. So if you would like to know some new freedom today, come before Jesus, honestly. If you'd like prayer, there will be a few people um, at the sides, at the balcony. I would love to pray. I'd love to pray with people, particularly those who feel like, I've got to get rid of some stuff. I've got to start on a journey. I don't need to know what that stuff is. Um, but let's just get someone else to agree with us in prayer.